0: When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what King Hezekiah says, today is a day of trouble, insult, and disgrace. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the message, the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say to your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech because me, against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. Listen, I myself will move him, and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. So he will return to his land, where I will have him killed with a sword. Meanwhile, the Assyrian chief of staff left Jerusalem and went to consult the king of Assyria, who had left Lachish and was attacking Libna. Soon afterwards, King Sennacherib received word that King Terhaka of Ethiopia was lending an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You will know perfectly well that the kings of Assyria have done whatever have, do- have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them, such as Gozen, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Telassar? My, dis- my predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. Is it true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations? Oh, it is true. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone, shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria.
1: Thank you Chloe. Uh, give her a hand. All right, you guys can be seated. Is this too loud? Or is it okay? Okay. All right. You guys can be seated. Uh, let's pray. Father God, I ask for myself and I ask for all people in this room right now for a humble heart. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to humble us. I have no idea what that means, but I know you will fulfill your promise. So just walk with us through this message and through this day and be with us, Lord. And give us humility. Help us to walk it out, Lord, so that we may bring glory to yourself just like Hezekiah just did. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I love how uh, Doug started the prayer time today. It was reminding me of a teacher we had a couple of weeks ago uh, that said, humility is knowing who God is and knowing who we are in Christ. So it's all about uh, your relationship, knowing who you are and who you are in Christ. So today's teaching is going to be in humbled hearts. And the question we're going to ask ourselves today is, Lord, how do I pray with a humble heart? We're going to focus on two points, or really two ingredients, for praying with a humble heart. The first one is perspective, and the second one is practice. Okay? So you guys, repeat after me. Perspective Perspective. and practice. practice. Okay, let's try it one more time. Perspective. And practice. practice. Okay. Both are needed when confronting war, physical and spiritual. Here's some interesting facts about physical wars. Since the beginning of our world, there have been over 14,000 physical wars and counting. Okay? We've had over 5,000 years of war and 300, around 300 years of peace. That's a lot of war. If there's that much war in the world's history, then we have to expect that we're going to get a little piece of it. And if we're going to experience war in our lives, then we have to learn how to train for it. Guess what the best manual is for the art of war? God's Word, the Bible. The Bible depicts countless battles from Genesis to Revelations. It's... Pages are filled with physical and spiritual wars raging. Jesus predicted, "And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom." Revelation speaks of what began as a cosmic war is going to end in Armageddon. It's a showdown between the forces of good and the powers of evil. We are image bearers of the Most High God. And the evil, want, the evil one wants everything that belongs to God. So, like it or not, every single one of us is going to be involved. As the battleground for this intense spiritual struggle is the human heart, God wants us, and Satan does too. So, as Christians, we are called to be more than peaceful spectators, we have to be frontline commandos in this battle. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this world, against spiritual darkness in high places. So in today's teaching, we're going to walk through King, Hezekiah's, King Hezekiah as a model to see how the Lord mixes together the ingredients of perspective and practice to give him the ability to pray with a humble heart. So two, two areas of scripture that you can bookmark are going to be 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings. We're going to kind of be in those areas today. So for our first ingredient, it's perspective. And perspective is the capacity to view things in their true relation or relative importance. Now, when David saw Goliath, there were two possible reactions. The first reaction was, Oh no, he's really big, I better run away! Okay. The second reaction was, he's really big. He defies the armies of the one true God. How can I miss? Okay, it's all about perspective. So let's dig into Hezekiah's life and how the Lord gave him opportunities to be humbled and trust him. Hezekiah's story starts off with the bad example of his father. Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, Abandoned the path of his father, Jotham, who followed the Lord and turned to idolatry, sacrificing to the gods of Damascus and built pagan altars and destroyed the holy vessels of the temple. All of this to gain favor from the enemies of Judah and God. God was not amused. In Second Chronicles twenty-eight nineteen, it says, For the Lord humbled Judah because of King Ahaz, king of Israel. Hezekiah, Ahaz's son and now king, got a chance to get his perspective firsthand, experiencing what it was like to not follow the Lord. Hezekiah rebelled from the example of his father and chose instead to follow the Lord. We see this in the beginnings in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1 through 5 and 10. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square in the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from this holy place. Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Now, as soon as Hezekiah became king, he immediately, in the first month, returns Judah to the Lord. Hezekiah gathers all of Jerusalem together and restores temple worship. And as 2 Chronicles 29, 24 says, The king commanded that a burnt offering and a sin offering should be made for all of Israel. All of Israel. Hezekiah's is over Judah. There's the northern tribe, a northern kingdom. And Judah was estranged from this kingdom. They didn't actually get along very well. You know that you're getting closer to a humbled heart when you start caring for all hearts, even hearts that don't actually care for you. Remember, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil forces behind them. We are to pray for the freedom of all captives, the good guys getting hurt, and the bad guys being used by the enemy. Chris was actually praying that last night, that we pray for our enemies. Our job, like Hezekiah will later teach us, is to get on our face and pray. Hezekiah goes on to invite all of Judah and all of Samaria, the northern kingdom, to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, pleading with them to yield themselves to the Lord and serve Him, to turn His face away from, their, from anger. When we return to the Lord and we humble ourselves before him, the joy of the Lord will flow through us, and our prayers will be heard in heaven. So in 2nd Chronicles 30:10, it says, "So the couriers went from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim, Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some of the men of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves" And came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart, to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. In, 30, in chapter 31 it says, And all of Israel who were present went out of the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram, broke down the high places and the altars throughout all of Judah and Benjamin. And Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all of Judah. And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord. And every work he undertook in the service of the house of God and in the accordance of the law and the commandments seeking his God, he did with all of his heart and he prospered. The majority of the northern kingdom decided not to come to the Passover nor listen to Hezekiah. The result was Samaria was captured, and God's word says that King of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and Habor and the river Gosin in the cities of the Medes because they did not follow the voice of the Lord, but their God, their God, and transgressed his covenant, even after all Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened. Nor obeyed. Do you see the two perspectives between Hezekiah and Samaria? Do you see the consequences of each? Hezekiah returns to the Lord, and Judah is blessed. Samaria does not listen to the voice of the Lord, and they are led away as slaves of Assyria. So let's take a a pulse of our own perspective. There's going to be a picture that comes up on the screen. Tell me what you see in this picture. The love boat. Okay. So really loud. So what do you see in this picture? A nice, okay, cruise ship. Peace, I heard, peace. Okay. Okay, this, so look really good at it pleasure. This is how the enemy wants you to see your spiritual life. An amusement ship. Now amuse, A means not, amuse means to think. So this is where you go to not think. Okay, a carnival cruise line. The enemy wants us complacent, disengaged, amused, not focused, blind, and medicated on media. Now let's ask the Lord to give us spiritual eyes to see. Here is the reality the enemy never wants you to understand. You are living in a spiritual war zone. What do you see in this picture? Can we dim the lights a little bit and see if it actually shows up better? So what do we see in this picture? Okay. How how does the ocean look compared to the other picture? Whitewater. Okay. One thing I loved is when you're in the battle, are you alone? You may not know it, but there's other people actually in the battle too. And Can you see what's in the water? Mines. They can blow up your ship if you hit them. But they're firing guns. It's raining. The waves are raging. The mines are all over the place. Spiritual warfare calls for living in a perpetual state of alertness. The Bible warns against spiritual dullness and the danger of living like civilians rather than soldiers. Paul wrote, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. We are warriors in the midst of a raging storm, like we just saw, and we've been gifted with the most advanced weaponry that will defeat the enemy. Our mission is to wake up And use the gifts to engage in the battle raging around us. As a soldier of Jesus Christ, we need to ask, which ship am I on? A cruise ship or a battleship? The way we answer this question makes the difference in how we carry ourselves, how we live our lives, and how we execute our duties. Those on a battleship declare, we're at war. Those on a cruise ship, we're on vacation. Passengers on a battleship think it's, about, it's all about God. Cruise ship passengers think it's all about me. The battleship mentality is I am the crew. The cruise ship mentality, I must be served by the crew. Those on a battleship view God as the faithful commander. On a cruise ship, He is the entertainment director. People on a cruise ship have absolutely no prayer training or battle plan in the event of an enemy attack. The thought of fighting never even enters their mind. Those on a battleship have been trained to use the weapon of prayer. Spurgeon says it this way, prayer brings inner strength to God's warriors and sends them forth to spiritual battles with their muscles firm and their, honor, their armor in place. If you are not yet one of God's warriors, or your conscience right now is telling you that you are a soldier living a cruise ship life, you need to serve the enemy his divorce papers today. Okay? Don't stop there. Demand back payment on all the alimony. Okay? You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Hezekiah's perspective was that of a battleship believer, living with kingdom purpose for kingdom glory. So now let's look at the second ingredient, practice. Let's see how the Lord gives Hezekiah a chance to practice. In Second Chronicles thirty-two, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Cherub, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Now it's been ten years since Samaria was conquered. And all 46 cities of Judah have fallen at this point. Jerusalem is left. Just like me, Hezekiah is not perfect. Giving in to fear, he offered to pay Sennacherib tribute. Sennacherib asked for and received 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, a talent is about 100 pounds. So think 3,000 pounds of silver and 300 pounds of gold. Now Hezekiah didn't have that much money in the coffers. He had to strip the precious metal off the temple in order to pay Sennacherib. And this only helped Sennacherib want Jerusalem more because now he knew that it, had, it had wealth. It was time for Hezekiah to practice trusting the Lord. Hezekiah does all things in his power to do. He seeks counsel. He reroutes the water. He builds up the walls. He strengthens the city. He makes weapons and shields in abundance. But then he reminds the people that it will be the Lord fighting the battle. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. This is where Seneb Cherub makes his mistake. If he would have only focused on fighting Hezekiah and Jerusalem, I believe he would, have, he would have conquered them. Instead, his pride in his pride, he blasphemes the Lord and tries to fight against God. In 2 Chronicles 32, 15, Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion. And do not believe... For no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand, or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? I love Hezekiah's perspective in this moment when he hears sin of cherub sayings. He lives out what he's been teaching the people. Remember, it is the Lord fighting the battle. He humbles himself before the Lord. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the, the house of the Lord. And he also asks Isaiah for reinforcements in the front lines via prayer. Isaiah the prophet is part of Hezekiah's shield wall. Like Isaiah, all of us in the body are gifted differently. Each part is vital to the success of the mission. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. It happens just like the Lord tells Isaiah. Sin of hears rumors of wars and has to leave Jerusalem alone for the moment to fight against Libna. This does not stop Sin of Cherub's psychological warfare. While Sin of Cherub is fighting against Libna, he continues to send messengers and letters to Hezekiah telling him not to trust the Lord. Sin cherub's fight is with the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 32, 17, And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands, who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hands. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to terrify them in order that they may take the city. And they spoke of God and of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. And Hezekiah continues to practice trusting, praying, and giving the fight over to God. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. You of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heaven and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib to which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, and that the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone." Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I've heard. Hezekiah has the right perspective and lots of practice. And prays to the Lord with a humble heart, and the Lord hears his heart. It's time for the Lord to fight the battle. So this, this is how... If we can at least wait on the Lord and do it in the right way, we get to see the Lord do the work. And then it's a glory story and we can give praise to the Lord. So in 2 Kings 19, 32-37, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city, to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out, and struck down a hundred and eighty-five thousand. Okay, a hundred and eighty-five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adrimelech and Sherzar, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped to the land of Eret, and Eshradon, his son, reigned in his place. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Serve either the Lord or the gods of this world. Enjoy the cruise ship or get on the battleship. Okay. Then enjoy the fruit of your choice. King Ahaz, Samaria, and Sennacherib's choice led to captivity, ending in death without the Lord. Hezekiah's choice was not battle-free, but he did live free. And the Lord was with him always unto death. So our question today was, Lord, how do I pray with a humble heart? Perspective, by knowing who God is and knowing who we are in Christ. 1 John 5.5 says, Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And practice, laying down before the Lord and allowing the Lord to fight the battle his way in his timing for his glory. This allows us to stand most powerfully against the enemy. So we've heard a lot today about the God of the Old Testament and the mighty miracles he performed back then. To end, I would like to tell you about the same God who is actively and miraculously moving in the lives of his warriors today. Now, most of you know, we have a family that takes up a whole row in the back. We have 10 beautiful children, okay? What you don't know is we actually have 12 amazing children, okay? We have Hope and Salem who, they're just, learning a lot of skills that they're going to teach us about when we get to be with them one day. Okay? Now when Hope was still being knit together in Jody's womb, we had there were some complications. So, we went to the hospital. Jody has the highest pain tolerance of any mortal I have ever experienced. Okay, it also gives her very low empathy. <laughs> so, the, the hospital actually, they thought we were joking. They didn't even, uh, they didn't want to take us in because she didn't look like anything was wrong. But she had lost a lot of blood. So, they, they agreed to take us in. And a- after they took us in, Jody started going into shock. Well, they didn't know, they didn't know what was going on. So, she'd be freezing cold. Then she'd be burning up, and then they'd give her an IV, and everything be fine. And she would also be shaking violently. Now, this was happening so consistently that I started telling the staff, okay, get ready, you need the blanket, she's about to turn freezing cold. Hours of this went on, okay? To the point that we started adding in flatlining to that scenario, so she would be Super hot, freezing cold, shaking violently, flatline. So they they basically they came to me and they said, We really can't do anything for her, so you need to like get your affairs in order. And what's amazing in the midst of this kind of stuff, you saw that battleship? We were not alone. Okay? Chad Ryan, who actually is here today, he came right before they told me that she wasn't going to make it. And he just, he prayed with me and hugged me. And I mean, be strong and courageous in the Lord. It was beautiful. So they send us to ICU. And miracle of all miracles, we actually got a doctor in ICU. He came in, he, he did a thumbnail test. He, he squeezed on the fingernails. He squeezed on the toenails. She had zero, no blood flow, okay? They let her bleed out. They didn't even check that she was still bleeding when she came into the hospital, okay? So now she needs blood transfusions, but she's lost a lot of blood. And we had more battleships come in. Like We had Dan Levin came in, and he actually, he fought off anyone that was torturing my wife trying to give her IVs because she can't really take IVs very well. So we're there. Her vitals are dropping. And a dear friend who is a praying warrior, like I've, I've, I'd love to be a praying warrior like this man is, Glenn Kirby. He, he, had, he called me, and he's like, put the phone on her chest. Like, okay, okay. So I put the phone on, on Jody's chest. And he started praying in the name of Jesus. And he, he wanted it on speakerphone. And he was praying so loud that all of the ICU started coming in. Okay, they're listening to Glenn pray over Jody. And as he's praying over Jody, and he, he prays, like, when, you get, when you're with the Kirby's and you're going to pray, you need at least two hours. Like, that's a short prayer. And you also need a dictionary. <laughs> so... So he starts praying over her, and her vitals are dropping. And while he's praying, they start climbing again. And the doctors are completely speechless. Okay? I had done all I could do. I had people praying all over. I had battleships in the water with me. Brian Johnson even came while, while during the middle of that, and he just hugged me. It was time to be like Hezekiah and just lay it down, give it to God, let him fight the battle in his timing, in his way, for his glory. Jody was able to walk out of the hospital within... 12 to, 12 to 20 hours. Okay? So God chose that battle that way and praise the Lord. Our God is the God of miracles. He is the same today as He was in the past. He is never changing. The assignment from our captain is to maintain the right perspective and put our faith into practice with prayer, especially for others. Humbling ourselves before the Lord in prayer is to acknowledge that we do not have the power or strength to accomplish what we pray for, but that we totally fall before the Lord trusting and confessing that we know He does. Whatever the outcome, we are faithful And serve him with all of our hearts. As he has promised a future only he can create. So as I wrap up and we're going to go into our time of communion. I'm going to end with uh, Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roaring of rushing waters. Like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah. For our God, the Lord God Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. As we look to the future and the wedding supper of the Lamb, let's come to the Lord with humble hearts. We are his bride and have been invited to to join him at his table. So today we're going to be doing communion family style there're going to be stations around the room set up so as family and friends go and remember and reflect on who God is and who you are in Christ so let's pray father god i just i want to thank you for who you are lord you are the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end You are all things, Lord. And I want to be on the battleship. I want everyone here on the battleship. Lord, help us. If we are sleeping, do whatever is needful in our lives to wake us up. Because you want warriors, Lord. You are a warrior and you want us to be warriors that follow you. Give us perspective. Give us practice. Then put us in the front line of the battle. I thank you, Lord Jesus. And I look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. Help us to run the race with endurance. And to love well. We sure do love you, Lord. And we thank you for a chance to serve. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen.